Our New Testament reading tonight comes from 1 Corinthians. It's gonna be chapter one, verses 10 to 18. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each, of you sa- each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stand as you're able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Our Gospel text this evening comes from Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. This is the gospel of the Lord. And now we get to continue our worship, uh, confessing our words using the, the words of the nice, or Apostles' Creed. We confess together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, The third day he rose again from the dead, according to heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is wonderful to be back with you all here on this Saturday evening, especially as we continue our sermon series, Faith Like a Child. And tonight we're going to be talking about overcoming childishness as our theme. And I'll be honest with you all. When I saw the sermon text that we had picked out for this weekend, I was kind of confused at first. It didn't seem to really match up very well. See, see, we have this gospel text, this, this gospel picture in Matthew of the disciples coming to Jesus with a fairly simple question. They say, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus takes a, a child, he puts him in his midst and says, unless you become like this child, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You see my conundrum a little bit there, that there's an ch overcoming childishness and yet Jesus tells us to become like a child. What is Jesus exactly saying here? What is he saying in this text? And then there was something else that was sort of bothering me. And it was actually the disciples' question. Something about the disciples' question was kind of off-putting. Who is the greatest? And I couldn't figure out why for the longest time. I kept stirring it over my head. Because greatness, pursuing after and being great, it's not a bad thing, right? We, we, we all want to be great. If I pulled the room and asked you to raise your hands, I won't, but if I asked you to raise your hand if you want to be great, most of us would raise our hands. There's very few of us that, that, that would say that, you know, no, Chris, I'm actually okay with just being average, right? No, just okay, right? Uh, when I am at my, or when I die and someone stands up to give my eulogy, I don't want them to say, well, he was sort of okay. He was a, a fine person, right? He was, he, he was average. No, I want them to say that I was a great person. I want them to say that, 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 that I was wonderful, that I was kind and, and, and compassionate, that I will be missed dearly. I want to leave my mark upon the world. It actually kind of reminds me of the, the old, a long time ago, the old AT&T commercials. I don't know if you saw them or not, but they, the just okay is not okay commercials. Um, if you haven't seen them, they're from a couple years ago. If you haven't seen them, number one, they're hilarious. But what they do is they end up taking a, an area where, where you, you want something to be great, and they substitute it with something that's just okay. And so, uh, as an example, my favorite one, it's the one that's on screen right now, uh, you have the picture, it starts off, the commercial starts off, and there's a guy who's prepping for surgery, and his wife's holding his, his hand, and she asks the nurse if, if she's worked with this doctor before. And the nurse goes, oh yeah, he's okay. Which is probably the last thing that you wanna hear as you're prepping to go into surgery. And then you get the doctor, the surgeon running down the hall yelling, guess who just got reinstated? <laughs> They're amazing commercials, very funny. But what I think they reveal is that we don't just want okay. All right, we want greatness, we want to be great. We want things that are great. Right? We don't, we, we're not just okay with average. And so I, I kept turning that disciple's question over my head. Who is the greatest Jesus? I'm trying to figure out if it's not the greatness piece of it, then, then what is it? And finally, it hit me. Or it actually something Pastor Kevin said. He said, this is probably the most childish question the disciples could have asked. This is probably one of the most childish questions the disciples could have asked Jesus. Childish in the sense that it was immature, right? It's basically like the disciples are saying, they're going, Jesus, Jesus, who are you picking first for the dodgeball team? Jesus, who's the best, right? And, and childish in the sense that it's very selfish. It's very egocentric, right? It's very focused on them. It's all about them and what they've done because there's no way that they asked this question not expecting for Jesus to say, you're my favorite and this is why. They're looking for the praise of Jesus, for Jesus to start lauding them with all the great things that they've done. And Matthew doesn't record it, but in Mark 9, the, the, the parallel passage, uh, the Jesus, the, it's recorded that Jesus actually asked them what they were, they were talking about, and they're silent because they're arguing the entire way, the entire journey about who's the greatest. 
And, and can you kind of imagine that scene where, where they're sort of bickering back and forth about who's the best? It kind of sounds like a, like a childish or like children arguing with each other over who's the best, right? I can picture the, the conversation sort of in my head, right? Well, but Peter, you did cast out the last demon, but I cast out three more, so I'm, I'm, I'm better than you. Well, John, you're, you're, not, you're not as good of a preacher. I, did you see how many people I brought to Jesus before and to follow Jesus? So this bickering back and forth about who's the best. And to be clear, we expect this of children. Right? It's named childish because children sometimes act childish. And that's okay. That's part of the process of development, of parenting, of nurturing, right? Is that at times kids will act childish. You know, two-year-olds will have temper tantrums. That's okay. If I throw a temper tantrum up here, that's something different, Right? Uh, children will also compete and battle with each other over who's the best. And a lot of times, it's over stuff that doesn't really matter. Think back to when you were kids and all the competitions and different things you might have held to actually compete with each other. I remember competing with my friends in all sorts of things. Who could throw a football the farthest? Who could run the fastest? I actually remember there was a, a competition me and my sisters did to figure out how many grapes we could fit in our mouth. I could fit 10 when I was eight, and that's never been useful in my life. Um, but but we, we wanted to figure out who was the best, right? And, and that's okay, right? That, that's okay as children because that's part of the development process. And kids are also egocentric, and not in a bad way, but the world revolves around them because that's a, the stage of development that they're in. And part of development is learning to look through other people's shoes. And again, that childishness is okay because we're still children. But for the disciples, for the disciples to be, act like this, it's an entirely different matter because they're adults. For the disciples to be acting in this very selfish, very egocentric, and very uh, immature manner, it's absolutely inappropriate. And this isn't just like heathens, right, that are acting like this. This isn't pagans. These aren't people who just heard the word of God, right, for the first time. No, these are the disciples of Jesus. These are the very people who have followed him throughout his entire journey. These are the ones who have probably heard the most of Jesus' teachings. They're the ones that spend the most time with Jesus, that, that have seen the most miracles. These are the ones that probably had the deepest relationship with Jesus. And yet they're struggling with immaturity. They're struggling with this childishness in the midst of that, even though they're the closest people to Jesus. And, and let's be real as well. There are times when I look at the disciples, and if the disciples struggle with childishness, there are times where I do as well. See, are there times where, where I sort of make it all about me in my life? where I sort of focus in on me and who I am, right? And make myself the center, right? There's times where I'm pretty selfish in my thinking or I start comparing myself to other people, thinking about how much of a better person I might be to the, than that person or a better Christian than that person because I attend worship, right? Or I, or I do this or I do that. There are times where I start making it a competition and figuring out who's the greatest. And, and I wish I could say that it just stayed in my outward actions, but there are times where it infiltrates my thoughts and my heart as well, where I start making it, I, 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 my pursuit of greatness turns into this sort of sinful pride where I make it all about myself and I miss the focus of my faith. And Jesus, to both the disciples and to us, 
has a really, really harsh answer, has a harsh word for us in this text. See, in Matthew 18, he takes the child and he puts him in the center. And and he says in verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it very clear that this is not some sort of trite issue. This is not some sort of outward thing. No, this is a matter of the heart, of the way that the heart is oriented in our faith, whether our heart is oriented towards ourselves or outward, right? Jesus makes it very clear that this is a a matter of major eternal significance. Is this childishness, this sort of pride in our faith, Later on in verse 6, he makes it even more clear where he talks about if you cause a little one of these, a little one not meaning children, but, but children of God to sin, right? So the, if the sin, the sinful pride in my own heart ends up denoting what people think of as that's Christianity, it causes them to stumble. Jesus says it would be better if for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So this matter, it's not just an outward action thing. It's a matter of our thoughts. It's a matter of our hearts. It's a matter of the way that we view our faith. And Jesus makes it very clear that this is a matter of eternal significance, a matter of eternal importance. And so, as he goes on, he also, he, while he does, it is a harsh word, he also gives us the solution as well, right? Turn and become like little children, Turn and become like little children. Well, we just established there's some things that that children do that we're not supposed to emulate. So what exactly is Jesus talking about? What exactly is Jesus calling us to to, to follow after, to to take after? When when he says, turn and become like little children. Humble yourselves like a child. And I think the answer lies in the difference between our view of children today and the ancient view of children in, in the ancient world. Because there's two very separate ones. In our world today, we value children highly, as we should, right? They're, they're wonderful and amazing gifts of God to us. We, it's so great to have children in our midst. And, and so we hold them up. And we're very, they're very special to us, right? And, and in some ways, I said that children are egocentric. The world revolves around them because of the stage of development. But from what I've heard, when you have kids... All of a sudden, your world does too, right? A lot of your world starts to revolve around your kids and taking care of your kids and protecting your kids, again, as it should. In the ancient world, this wasn't the case. They were still loved and valued, but but they were generally seen as inferior to adults. They were loved and valued for the value that they were going to bring about when they were adults. And a lot of the times, they were seen as inferior to actual adults. Um, they were seen as inferior physically because they were weaker. They couldn't carry as much as adults could. They couldn't take care of themselves as, like adults could. They were seen as inferior because they, they, were, they were underneath, they, they were, uh, underneath the, the, the wills of adults, right? That the parents would, would tell them what to do and they had to do it. They were seen as inferior mentally because they, they didn't always process with logic, with reason. So they acted on emotion, Right? And they were seen as inferior because they were absolutely and utterly dependent upon adults for everything. They were dependent upon adults for all their physical needs, right? Food, water, shelter, right? Kids were fully dependent upon adults for that. 
They were dependent upon adults for, for their protection when kids would get into to dangerous situations or, or, or to protect them from danger because they couldn't protect themselves, to protect them from harm. They were dependent upon adults for rescuing. When they did get into situations of danger or harm, they were dependent upon adults to come in and rescue them because, again, they couldn't rescue themselves. And finally, they were dependent upon adults for their identity. Right, that they weren't making their own identity. They were dependent upon the adults and what the adults told them they were. So in the ancient world, kids were still loved and valued, but they were generally seen as inferior because they were dependent upon adults. And what's funny is, is that Jesus takes that very thing that was seen as a negative quality in children, and he elevates it. He makes it the positive and what he is telling the disciples when he says, turn and become like children, he's saying, turn and become dependent entirely upon your heavenly father. Turn around, drop your pride, and become eternally dependent upon God, your father. And, and, the, the, and, and the depth and the impact of that, right, that, that's a difficult thing to ask. See, we spend so much of our, our life trying to become independent, I, I grew up, I, I matured and, and grew to, to become independent so I could actually provide for myself, provide my food, water, clothing, shelter for myself, right? That's, that's a goal of mine, right? I, I became, I'm striving to become independent so I can protect myself, so I don't actually have to get into those situations where someone needs to rescue me because I'm able to protect myself, where I make my own identity, I create my own identity. We spend so much of our life striving to become independent, and now Jesus has to turn it around. To be real with you, this would be a really, really hard task. To sort of drop my pride, to drop my independence, and to turn back around and become fully dependent upon God again, to chase after become that fully dependent child of God. If this were me doing it, this would be a really, really difficult task. But it's not. See, because what, it's, what Jesus is saying here, is Jesus is saying, Turn and just receive the gifts that I've already done. Right? Turn and receive the things that I've already done for you. Right? He says, become like children, to be like children. Right? That, that, that in the midst of this, that we're actually called to just turn around and receive the gifts from our Heavenly Father. Because if you think about it, kids don't really think about the fact that they're dependent that much. Right? If, if you're a kid, you're not really recognizing that you're dependent upon your parents. You just sort of receive it, and you receive it with love and thankfulness, right? But when you receive the gifts, kids don't really think or acknowledge that idea that they're dependent. They just are. They're, that's the state of dependence that they're in. And Jesus is sort of inviting us into something similar, where he says, just be children of God. Just be that dependent child of God upon your heavenly Father, because whether or not you recognize it or not, all those things about being dependent upon God are already happening. God already is providing daily for all of our needs, whether through our abilities or talents or jobs, right? God is providing for our food, our clothing, our shelter, our water. God provides that for us. He provides for our emotional needs when we are in distress or grief or sorrow, right? He calls, he gives us that peace and comfort for you and for me. 
He provides for our spiritual needs, providing us growth and direction to pursue where we, God is calling us to go. He provides for our protection. We're, we're in the midst of a world filled with danger and harm. He protects us, watches over us, and guards us from the evil and harm that is in the world. He rescued us. When we could not rescue ourselves from our sin on the cross, from our sinful pride on the cross, that Jesus actually came to sacrifice himself to forgive that sin of pride and to, to, to bring us back to him, to forgive us. He rescued us from sin, from death and the devil on that sacrifice on the cross. And finally, he provides for that identity. When on the cross, he called you to be a child of God. He provides for that identity and that he says that no longer is all of that guilt and shame from the past, no longer is that pride. You don't need to make that anymore, right? But that now you're redeemed, you're loved, you're beloved by me, you're forgiven, you are my child. What Jesus actually invites us into here is Jesus invites us to take ourselves out of the equation, when Jesus says to become like children, he asks us to take ourselves out of the equation and just be a child of God, to be dependent upon our Heavenly Father who's providing for all of our needs of body and soul right now. And yes, this does involve repentance. This does involve confession for our sinful pride, for our childishness at times. And yes, there is a correction along the way, but it's not a pursuit after something. It's not chasing after something anymore. Rather, it's just living and receiving the wonderful gifts that our Heavenly Father has for us. And see, when we do this, our childish faith actually turns into childlike faith. A childlike faith of one who is fully dependent upon God, our Father, for all that we need. A childlike faith that, that looks and is just, the, the, it just is a child of God is fully dependent upon him. And we're going to be diving in and talking more about that next week when we go into confidently childlike and how God is calling us to grow in that sort of childlike faith. But for now, rest in that comfort. Rest in the comfort of knowing that you are a child of God, that he loves and cares for you deeply so much that he's going to provide for all of your needs, your needs that you need physically, for your protection, that he has rescued us and called us into his family, that we have a wonderful heavenly father who, who loves us and calls us to just be dependent upon him, knowing that he's got so many amazing and wonderful gifts for you and for me. And there's wonderful peace and comfort we don't have to chase after our own pride anymore. We can just be those children of God. In his name, amen.